Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. Good morning. Oh, why don't you stay standing just for a moment? Is that okay? Okay, you can be seated. I love it. So good to be with family. I love it that you can get on a plane and fly for nine hours and land basically on another continent, even though we're all part of the Americas, um, and be with family. There's just nothing greater than being part of the church. And thank you for always making me feel at home when I come. Absolutely love coming here. Like you're suffering for Jesus in Miami. Um, Went to South Beach yesterday and I said, Lord, send me as a missionary. Here I am. Send me. I'm willing. I'm willing. But I absolutely love Alex and Diana. Love your pastors. And, and as a part of Hillsong Church and on behalf of Hillsong Church, you know, I get to connect with part of my role is to connect with many of our pastors who lead churches who are part of our Hillsong family. And we're just so proud of these guys and what the Lord has done in them and through them, in particular the last two and a half years, been absolutely amazing. How many of you love your pastors? Come on, why don't you give them a hand? They're awesome. And I, I can't wait, I can't wait to have... Alex and Diana speaking to our church next year. And uh, they're going to come down and I'm going to feed him a whole bunch of meat. And it's going to be awesome. But it is an honour and a privilege to be here. And thank you for being in church today. You know, as a pastor, I know that not one of you had to come here. You chose to come. And we're just so honoured that you would come to the house of God and worship God with us. And I know that uh, God's got something special prepared for you today. And I just want to show you, I want to show you a picture of the greatest congregation I get to pastor. And that's my family. I want to introduce you to my beautiful family. Um, Lucy was with me here two years ago, but for those of you who are new, uh, they're going to come up in three, two, one. There you go. And and over here on, on the left is my eldest daughter, Celeste. She just two weeks ago turned 17 years of age. I had her when I was five. Um, and, um, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. But um, 17 years old, oh my gosh, please, please pray for me. Um, I've got guys, young boys in church that are very stupid, but have got their eye on my daughter. And I'll tell you why they're stupid is because I'll lay hands on them. And, um, and, then, and then over on my right, uh, is my, my middle daughter, Eliana. She's 15. So two teenage girls under the same roof. And uh, we, we definitely do need a lot of prayer. I've got two shotguns at home. And, and, and I'm prophesying that they will be the first Pentecostal nuns. Um, you know, like we're starting Hillsong Church all over Latin America. I'm going to start the first Hillsong Convent as well. And, and I'm taking applications on this trip. Any dads want to send their daughters? Yeah, I see that hand. I see that hand. I, it's awesome. I love it. I love it. Then down, down the front on my right is my son, Sebastian. Uh, my mini-me, he's, he's 10 years of age. He's awesome. 
Uh, he's a football freak, the real football, you call it soccer here. Um, the football played in heaven. He literally just finished his last game of the season during the first service. So during worship, I was getting updates and he got trophy for player of the season. 24 goals this season. Absolutely amazing. Takes after his mum. And, um, and then in the middle is what I like to call, who I like to call my mamacita. And uh, Lucy, she's the greatest gift after salvation the Lord has given me. And I've been away for a few days and tomorrow we're meeting up in Guatemala. And it's going to be a beautiful encounter. And uh, I can't wait to see my wife. Praise the Lord. You ready for the Word of God? I've got traveling with me a good friend of mine, Mariano. Ponete de pie, Mariano. He doesn't speak much English. Can everyone say, hola, Mariano? He's part of our team in Argentina. He actually got saved on opening day of Hillsong Buenos Aires. And one of the first people to get saved in the life of our church. And, uh, and he, he's an amazing, actually, barber, hairdresser. Travels all over our continent giving seminars and, and, and he's been flown to Europe and to Dubai. Like the guy's just brilliant. And uh, he's responsible for this as well. And so I love that he's here and he's falling in love with Miami. He's like, if you want to expand to Miami, I'm your man. And I'm like, I'm like, you're staying in Buenos Aires, bro, where we suffer for the Lord. But I just want us to go together. I want us to go together this morning to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter one. And just for a few moments, I, I want us to place ourselves in Jeremiah's sandals. Jeremiah was a young man called by God to be a prophet, to be an oracle, to be a voice for the Lord. And it's in a time where historically the nation of Israel, they were in disobedience. They were all over the place, disconnected from one another. It's amazing that every time the people of God were in disobedience or disconnected from the plan that God had for them, God would speak to one man or one woman raise someone up to be a mouthpiece and to bring order, to bring fresh direction. And this is the context of Jeremiah's calling. And I love that God calls a young man. And, and I want us to take the Word of God to Jeremiah, like the Word of God to you and I this morning in this place. And this is the account of Jeremiah's calling. The Bible says in verses 4 to 12 of Jeremiah 1, The Word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Just let me take a break here for a moment because it leads me to believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that friend, it doesn't matter who you are in this place. It doesn't matter whether your parents said to you, you know what, you were never in our plans. You were an accident. You need to understand according to this Scripture, beyond the shadow of a doubt, I believe that not one of us are on this planet by accident. We're here by divine design because we were never our parents' idea. We were always God's idea because before we were formed, He knew us. He knew you. Not only did He know you, He destined you. He set you apart. And I love that. Someone needs to get that today, that you're not here by accident. You're not a waste of space. You're not what your past says you are. You're not what your parents or your friends or your teachers speak over your life. You are who God says you are. You will do what God says you can do and you will go where God says you will go. 
And, and Jeremiah responds in verse 6 how we often respond. He gives God, he offers God an excuse. He says, Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I, I don't know how to speak. I'm, I'm too young. And I love that God basically ignores His excuse. And I love that we serve a God who has often ignored our excuses to fulfill His plan and purpose in our lives. And God, God says to him, don't say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out His hand and He touched my mouth and said to me, I've put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations. I love that it wasn't a nation, but nations. God is a plural God. We need to think bigger. Nations and kingdoms to uproot and to tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The Word of the Lord came to me, verse 11. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. Then the Lord said to me, You have seen correctly, for I am watching. Another translation says, For I am ready to see my word is fulfilled. Father, we thank You for Your Word. I pray that You would speak to us today, that You would stir faith on the inside of us that You would cause a paradigm shift to take place in our way of thinking. Father, do what only You can do. And as always, Lord, I praise You and I honour You for this wonderful opportunity I have and the privilege I have to speak Your Word to these Your amazing people. I thank You for what You're about to do. In Jesus' Name, and everybody said together, Amen. Amen. On two years ago, two years ago, it was actually two weeks ago, it was a two-year anniversary of me going to Israel for the first time. Uh, it was a 12-day trip. I went along with my wife, Lucy, and all our Hillsong Church global lead pastors. We went on a 12-day study trip and team building trip. It was 12 days that had a radical impact on my life, obviously being the first time I'd been in Israel and got to visit a whole bunch of sites and just study the Word at a whole nother level with historians and, and it was absolutely a brilliant time. The first Friday night we were there, we were, we were in Jerusalem. And along with some of our lead pastors, we decided to leave the hotel and walk down to the Western Wall, which is the ruins of Solomon's second temple. It was a Friday evening, so early evening. So it was the start of the Shabbat, the Sabbath for the Orthodox Jews. That the moment we left the hotel, the sound of prayer, the sound of devotion filled the air. It filled the city. It was actually quite challenging and, and at the same time, very inspiring. It was about four or five blocks away. And as we got closer, the sound just got louder and louder. When we got to the Western Wall, the, the site was amazing because thousands of Orthodox Jews in their religious attire, going to what they considered to be a holy place to offer their devotion and their prayers to God. It was very Old Testament. On the right-hand side were all the women and on the left-hand side were all the men. There was a divide down the middle. And I'm not, one, I'm not one who believes that you need to go to a certain place to find God. I'm not one who believes in religious places because the Bible teaches us that through Jesus Christ, we have direct access to the throne of grace. But I respect 
what people think and what people believe. And this was my attitude. I, I got down to the Western Wall and I was like, Lord, if, if there's anything of you in this place, I want it. So I walked into the men's section with a couple of our pastors and I went close to the wall and I took out a piece of paper that they had given me at the entry point And I wrote down this prayer, God, bring a revelation and a revolution of Your grace to Latin America. And I wrote it up and I put it in the wall. And as I walked away with three of the guys, we saw this section on the far left that goes underground and we walked in and the sight as we walked in was incredible. Older men, younger men and everything, everyone in between praying to God. And there's this certain rhythm to the way the Orthodox Jews pray and they sway back and forth and they're praying and they've got the Torah in their hand. And there was this older gentleman. He was just sitting like at a, at a small desk observing everyone. So we went up to him. We said, sir, can we ask you a question? He's like, of course you can. And we said, what is everybody praying about? And his response was this. He says, everybody's praying to God according to how they see God. Because how they see God will determine how they approach Him. And his answer impacted me, which has led me for the last two years, two years every day when I pray, I say, God, give me eyes to see you the right way. Not only that, I've taken it one step further. Daily, I pray to God, God, give me eyes to see my city the right way. Give me eyes to see my neighbour the right way. Give me eyes to see the church the right way. Because how we see will often determine what we believe and how we live. And that's why I love the account of Jeremiah's calling. Because God speaks purpose over him. He's like, hey, Jeremiah. Before you were formed, uh, I knew you. I set you apart. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah's like, come on, man, I can't speak. I'm too young. God's like, don't worry about that. Don't say you're too young. You're going to go where I send you. You're going to say what I put in your mouth to say. You're going to build. You're going to tear down. You're going to overthrow. You're going to accomplish what I called you to accomplish. I love that. And then in verse 11, God asked Jeremiah such an important question, which is the title of today's message. He asks him, what do you see, Jeremiah? What do you see? Because what we see determines so much in life. And Jeremiah responds and he says, I see the branch of an almond tree. God was giving him a picture, an image, a vision of what he was about to do. He says, I see the branch of an almond tree. And what you and I need to understand is that God will often show us a picture of what He wants to do, of where He's taking us, of the days that are before us. But we must have eyes to see it and hearts to believe it if we're ever going to enter it. He says, what do you see? That's what I want to ask you today. What is it you see? But here's the, here's the thing. It's not what do you see with your eyes open. What do you see with your eyes closed? What do you see? Because we're people that live by divine design and by a divine vision. What do you see with your eyes closed when you focus on your marriage, when you focus on your finances? What do you see when you look at your city, when you look at your church, when you look at church leadership? What is it you see with your eyes closed? Uh, someone once said that the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. 
I dare to say that all of us in this place have sight. Very few of us have vision. See, your sight will always have you focus on your problems, but vision will always have you focus on His promises. Your sight will always have you focus on the temporal, but vision will always have you focus on the eternal. Your sight will have you focus on where you are today. Vision will have you focus on where you're going in God. What is it you see? Do you have eyes to see what God is doing? And I love, Jeremiah says, I see the branch of an almond tree. And come on, let's be honest today. What God was showing Jeremiah, if I can put it this way, it wasn't a sexy vision. Like if I was Jeremiah and I lived in Miami and God was showing me a vision, I would want it to be the American Airlines arena packed with people and me preaching on the stage. Because that's the sort of vision I like. I would like to see a, a stage at South Beach with so many people listening to the Gospel. Oh, that's a sexy vision. I'd love to see a building with thousands of people coming to church and getting saved. But Jeremiah is shown by God, let's be honest, a stick. The branch of an almond tree, there's nothing sexy about it. And God says, you have seen well, for I am waiting and ready to perform my Word. See, what we need to understand is that the almond tree is the first tree to flourish after winter. It announces a brand new season. The almond tree is known as the awakener or as the observer. And God is showing Jeremiah, a season has come to an end amongst my people. A brand new season is starting. I'm about to do something fresh and I'm about to do something new. And when you study this passage of Scripture, theologians say that not only was the almond tree an awakener, but God was using Jeremiah to awaken a brand new season amongst His people. And I believe today God is using His church to awaken and observe the new, the fresh thing that He is doing amongst His people because God has always had a vision for His people. He's always had a plan and a purpose but do you have eyes to see it? Or are you so focused on your challenge that you can't see what God's wanting to do? Do you have eyes to see a brand new day? And I want to speak that over Calvary. As you step into 2019, where here we are, the final month of for what, at a personal level for me, has been an amazing year. But do you have eyes to see the new thing? Do you have eyes to see the almond tree that's beginning to flourish. And I believe it's beginning to flourish over your family, over your finance. I, I believe it's beginning to flourish over your career. I believe it's beginning to flourish at a whole new level over this church because the year you have ahead of you will be your best year yet because we serve a God who takes us from strength to strength and from glory to glory. Can somebody in the house say amen to that? What is it you see? God's always had a vision for His people. In, in the book of Habakkuk, young people, that's a book in the Old Testament. The Bible doesn't start at Matthew. Just letting you know, Habakkuk, minor prophet in the Old Testament. And I love that Habakkuk 1. Habakkuk 1 is, is an interesting passage of Scripture because 
It's full of complaints. It's full of prayers that are victim prayers. Because the people of Israel have just begun a season where the under the under the oppression of the Babylonian rule, they're in exile. They're all over the place. They're wandering in the wilderness. They're all over the place. Under the governance of the Assyrians and they're in disarray. They're disconnected. And Habakkuk in chapter one, he's offering victim prayers to God. God, why are we going through this? You ever offered that sort of prayer to God? It's a victim prayer. God, why? Dios, por qué? God, when is this going to change? God, how did I get to this? That's what Habakkuk's doing. And we often offer God our victim prayers, but He hasn't called us to be victims. He's called us to be victors. And you would think compassionate God, He shows up and says, hey, Hab, it's all good. I'm changing the situation. Things are going to be easy for you. No, because we live in a fallen world. God speaks vision and purpose in the midst of the exile for the Israelite people. He says, I still have a plan. I still have a vision. And this is what happens in Habakkuk chapter two. We know the scripture. If you've been around church for a while, you've heard this preach from verses two to four. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak. It will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. In the midst of exile, God says, no, I still have a plan. I still have a purpose. Write it down, make it plain, because it will come to pass. Friend, in Scripture, you see that from the beginning of time, God has always had a vision and a purpose for His people. In Genesis chapter 3, after the fall of man, after humanity's first mistake, they disobeyed. Adam and Eve ate from the fruit they shouldn't have eaten from. And God shows up and Adam and Eve are trying to hide from God. He questions them, what have you done? Adam blames the wife. Adam blames the woman. The woman blames the serpent because we love to play the blame game in church. It's a part of our fallen nature. Instead of taking responsibility for our actions, we love to blame everyone. And when we play the blame game, we're constantly limiting our lives. And God looks at the serpent. You can study it in Genesis chapter 3. And He says to the serpent, because of what you have done, the seed of the woman is going to crush your head. And in Genesis 3, it's the first mention of Jesus. Because when a woman falls pregnant, a woman falls pregnant by the seed of a man. And he says to the serpent, the seed of the woman is going to crush your head. Because the seed that would impregnate Mary wasn't man's seed. It was a divine seed. And at the, mis- at the first mistake of humanity, God shows up and says, I still have a plan. I still have a purpose. A divine seed that woman will receive will crush the one who caused my children to disobey. God's always had a plan and a purpose for your life. He's always had a vision prepared for your life, even in the midst of what you're facing today. It's not the end of your purpose. 
God isn't done with you yet. Your best days are ahead of you. But do you have eyes to see what God wants to do? The almond tree is beginning to flourish over your life. Can somebody say amen? Amen. And just three simple thoughts I want to leave you with regarding vision. When you live by divine vision, seeing what God wants to do, seeing what God has prepared for us. The first is this. Number one, vision will always generate need. Always. We don't like to talk too much about need in church, but vision will always generate need. Let me explain. Noah, he's from God. God says to Noah, Noah, it's going to rain. And no one had ever seen rain. So Noah's like, what's rain? That's going to be water that falls from heaven. And God says, I need you to build an ark. I need you to build a boat. Noah's like, what the heck is a boat? He's like, you're going to build this thing out of material and it's this big thing that you're going to put two of all kinds of animals on and your family's going to be on that. You're going to save humanity. It's going to float on water. And Noah's like, I'm in. Literally, God gives him the measurements, gives him everything. Noah goes home and he speaks to Mrs. Noah. And he gets home and he says, Mi amor, mi amor, um, God spoke to me. And she's like, ¿Y qué te dijo? What did he say? Because we know the original language for the Bible is Spanish. And, um, and Noah's like, God said it's going to rain. And Mrs. Noah's like, and what's rain? And Noah's like, babe, you're so ignorant. It's, it's going to be water that falls from heaven. And he told me to build a boat. And she's like, what's a boat? And Noah's like, do I need to explain everything to you? It's going to be this thing that we build and it's going to float on the water. We're going to save humanity, babe. And, and she's like, I'm in. God gave Noah a vision to save humanity, to build a boat. And all of a sudden that vision generated the need where he needed the material to build the boat so he could fulfill the vision God had given him. Not only did he need the material, he needed the support of his most loved ones to believe in him when years went by and it didn't rain and everyone ridiculed him and everyone told him he was loco and everyone told him to stop smoking what he's smoking. He needed the support of his most loved ones because the God-given vision will always have the right need attached to it. The question is, how do you see need? Need is nothing more than an opportunity for new possibilities. David had a vision to build a temple. He needed to receive an offering so the temple could be built. He wasn't the one to finish it, but he left everything set up for his son Solomon, the next generation to finish it. But because he had a vision to build, he had a need for everything that was required to build and fulfill the vision. Vision will always generate need. But the question is, how do you see need? Friend, I dare to say this, and I want to, I want to challenge some people's thinking. You need more need. If you're full of vision, you'll be full of need. We moved to Argentina three years ago from Sydney, Australia, full of vision to start the first Hillsong Church in Latin America. We moved with 10 cities on our heart. Full of vision. Three years on now, we're five services today. Our second service just started. Every service is packed, overflowing with people. 
In three years between Buenos Aires and Sao Paulo, we've seen 27,400 salvations. Our, our building in Sao Paulo is packed with people and we need a new building. We need bigger facilities because we're full of vision and thousands of people are coming. And because God is fulfilling a vision, our need has got larger. Could it be that your need is the proof of God fulfilling His vision for your life? We need more need. This house is full of need because it's full of vision. Vision to reach a city, that's why. An interest meeting for the new West Campus. That's why we must bring our tithes and give our offerings. Why? Because we want to unfold a vision. We want to see a vision fulfilled that impacts the city because every God-given vision will have need attached to it. You may be a couple in this place and maybe you've been married for a while and you're yet to have children. But you've got a dream, you've got a vision to start a family. Well, the moment that vision begins to get fulfilled and you fall pregnant, all of a sudden, because the vision is being fulfilled, you're going to need to buy a seat for the car for your new baby. You're going to need to buy a stroller or a pram. You're going to need to start buying diapers. You didn't have that need before you fell pregnant. But when God begins to fulfill a dream and a vision, that vision generates the right sort of need. Vision will always generate need, number two. Vision will always add fuel to your faith. Vision will always add fuel to your faith. Please don't misunderstand me. The foundation for our faith is the Word of God. It's the Word of God that only produces faith in our life. The Bible says in Romans that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You're lacking faith. I want to challenge you to get in the Word. Get in the Word. But vision will add fuel to your faith. Vision will inspire you to believe like never before. I know for Lucy and I, as leaders, as pastors, over the last three years, we've had to believe God like never before. Why? Because we're full of vision. And God's fulfilling that vision. And literally it's brought us to our knees on a daily basis where we're in prayer, believing God for finance, believing God for progress, believing God for new buildings, believing God to see more people reach, believing God to see young people set on fire, believing God to see salvations like never before because vision will add fuel to your faith and will take you to levels of faith that you never experienced before. If you're full of vision, you'll be full of faith. So, so many people think that these rips in my jeans are fashion. This is prayer. Because we're full of vision. Vision will add fuel to your faith. That's why I love Habakkuk. God says to Habakkuk, hey, write the vision, make it plain. That he may run who reads it. Because I love that, that he may run who reads it. Vision was never designed to stay still. We run with it. We progress with it. We advance with it. We move forward with it. I love that. And then it goes on. It says, For the vision is yet for an appointed time. At the end it will speak. It will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. I don't know about you, but that just confuses me. Though it tarry, wait for it. It will not tarry. So, so which one is it, God? So when you're on the way to church and your wife says, Baby, I'm ready. Let's go. 
and you get the kids in the car, you're, you're about to leave and she's like, I just need five more minutes. And it's like, which one is it? You're ready or you need five more minutes? How many men know what I'm talking about? Father, have mercy on them. And God's like, though it tarries, wait for it, it will not tarry. But it goes on and says, the proud, behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just or the righteous shall live by his faith or her faith. Notice that it doesn't say by faith, but it says by his faith, because faith is personal. I dare to say that it's our faith that accelerates the process of vision in our lives. So you can't build your life and fulfill your God-given destiny according to Alex and Diana's faith. Because God doesn't have grandchildren, He only has children. You can't live your faith through your parents' faith, through your spouse's faith. It says the just shall live by His faith. And it's personal. How's your faith? How's your faith? How's the condition of your faith when you're full of vision for your future? That vision will add fuel to your faith and constantly having you believe in God like never before, knowing that faith can move mountains. That faith makes a way where there is no way. That faith will see God open doors that no man can shut. When you're full of vision, you'll be full of faith. Vision without action is merely a dream. Action without vision just passes the time. But vision with action can change the world. And what causes us to action our vision? It's our faith. The just shall live by faith and not by sight. That's why I ask you again, what do you see with your eyes closed? What do you believe in God for? Vision will always generate need. Vision adds fuel to your faith. And number three, as a team comes, Vision will always produce hope for a better tomorrow. Throughout the tenor of Scripture, whenever God gave His children a vision, whenever He gave the people of Israel a vision, that vision in them produced hope for a better tomorrow. Regarding your tomorrow, do you see hope or do you see hopelessness? Regarding your tomorrow, do you see the opportunity or do you see the challenge? Do you see His promises or do you see your problems? When we moved to Buenos Aires, those first six weeks, we were without a car. And so everywhere we went was either in a cab or in an Uber. And it was amazing how the same conversation just happened time and time again with taxi drivers or with the Uber drivers they would hear us speak in English to our kids. My kids at the start didn't speak a word of Spanish. My kids are heroes. Didn't speak a word of Spanish. They learned from scratch when we moved. And they would hear us speak English. And so the drivers would always ask us, oh, where are you guys visiting from? And we'd say, no, we're not visiting. We just moved from Sydney, Australia. And this was always the, always the same reaction. 99% of the time was like, what, kid? Están locos. You, you're telling me you moved from Sydney, Australia to Buenos Aires. ¿Por qué? Which means why? Why? Why would you do that? Why would you leave the first world for the third world? A couple said to us. 
Why would you leave a stable nation for a country that's never known stability? Why would you leave a developed nation and come here? You guys are crazy. And I remember this one occasion. It was about four or five weeks in. I just got sick of it. So much negativity. It seemed like the, the common talking point with taxi drivers or anywhere you went on the street was if you were negative, you could connect. Everybody complaining. They sounded a lot like Habakkuk. And I remember this one occasion I said to him, excuse me, sir. Because he would say to me, there's no hope for Argentina. It will always be the same. This nation's never going to change. Go back. And I was like, excuse me, sir. We're people of faith. We moved to start a church. And we believe because we're full of vision for this nation that there's a better day for Argentina, that there's hope for the future, that things can change if we dare to believe. And when you're full of vision, that vision will always produce hope for a better tomorrow. That's why, that's why I love Romans 5, Romans 5. Oh, I love this passage of Scripture. One of my favourite chapters in the entire Bible, Romans 5. You want a revelation of grace? Read Romans 5, 6 and 7. It will change your life. But Romans 5 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. That's some good news for somebody. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. I love that. Another version says, in which we now stand firm. Because you have access to grace, you can stand firm on a continual basis in His grace. Your sin doesn't see you fall out of grace. Your sin sees you fall into grace because of what Jesus did. It goes on and says, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We boast in the hope of the glory. It's talking about eternity. It's talking about an eternal glory, a future glory. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that our sufferings produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character produces hope. And this hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And because of what Jesus did, we've been given a vision of a future glory. And that vision will always produce hope for a better tomorrow. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what's coming against you. But there's one thing I'm sure of. Your best days are ahead of you. God is going to take you from strength to strength and from glory to glory. Why? Because the almond tree is beginning to flourish. The almond tree is announcing a brand new season. The almond tree is announcing a brand new chapter. Do you have eyes to see it? Come on, let's worship Him. Come on, Calvary. Would you raise your hands to heaven? Praise the one who's prepared a better day, a new day.
Thank you, Jesus. Friend, we've been talking about that God has always had a plan and a purpose for people. That does not exclude you. God is not an exclusive God. He's an inclusive God. And He has a plan and a purpose for every single person that walks on this planet. We, we were all created by divine design. And you may be in this sort of context today for the first time. Maybe you've been coming for a while. Maybe today someone invited you or you just came in on your own. And when you hear someone talk about God or mention Jesus, automatically your thinking goes to religion, tradition, rules, regulations. But you need to understand the God we're singing about, the God we're speaking about, the God we're passionate about. He's not a God of religion. He's a God of relationship. Why? Because He's a God of love and He loves you. He is deeply in love with you. That's why over 2,000 years ago, He sent heaven's best to pay the price for our lives that we couldn't pay on our own. Jesus came and died on a cross, but didn't stay on that cross. On the third day, He rose from the dead and He paid the price for our sin. He made a way so that imperfect people can walk in relationship with a perfect God. And if you're in this place today and you don't know what it is, to walk in a relationship with God. Today's your day. This moment is your moment. I love the honour of praying with you and for you. Say yes to Him today. Faith only requires a decision where you say yes to Jesus, understanding that what He did on the cross was not just for the person beside you, but was for you. Doesn't matter who you are. He loves you and accepts you just the way you are, but He loves you far too much to leave you that way. He has a plan and a purpose prepared for your life. If you're not in relationship with Him, allow me to pray for you today. Or maybe you're in the house and at one point in your life, you said yes to Jesus. But because of situation or circumstance, you turned your back on Him. You drifted away from Him. Your position in life moved. You need to know. You may have moved, but God never moved. You may have turned your back on Him, but He never turned His back on you. And it doesn't matter where you've gone or what you've done. Nothing or no one can separate you from His love. If you're backsliding in your heart and you need to come back to Him today, I also want to include you in this prayer with every eye closed and every head bowed. You would say, Chris, you're speaking to me. When you pray, include me. I need to begin a relationship with Jesus or I need to come back to Him because I drifted away with every eye closed. If you would say, Chris, yep, include me in this prayer right where you are. Could you just raise your hand high enough and long enough for me to see it? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hands are going up everywhere. Praise God for each and every one of you. Hands up in the three sections of this amazing building. Praise God. Absolutely amazing. You, my friend, are the reason I came from Argentina to see you connect with Jesus. You can put your hands down. You can open your eyes and look forward. And for those of you who raised your hands, I want to guide you in a simple but life-altering prayer. 
And I want you to repeat these words after me, but I don't want you to, I don't want you to feel uncomfortable speaking out aloud in the middle of what you think is a crowd. Church is not a crowd, church is family. And so every single person in this place is gonna say these words along with those of you who raised your hands. So out aloud together, let's pray these words. Dear Jesus, today I open up my heart and surrender ownership of my life to You. I thank You for Your grace, for Your love and for Your mercy. Forgive me of all my sin. Wipe away my past and give me a brand new start. I receive You as my Lord and Saviour and ask that You'd guide me in living a life that honours You. Thank You for salvation. In Jesus' Name. And everybody said together, come on, can we congratulate these people? Praise God.